0: My name is Marie Castellini. I used to be a spy.
1: My name is Chris Cherry, and I used to be trying.
0: And this is Burn Noticed, cheered on by people outside my window. A weekly rewatch of the USA Television masterpiece, Burn Notice, about Michael Weston, a spy.
1: Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television... Or a great episode of Burn Notice.
0: If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we will explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of, uh, can I hear it? Any kind. At BurnNoticedPodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at BurnNoticedPod. That's Burn Noticed with a D.
1: Because it's past tense.
0: Because it's past tense.
1: I think our podcast is educational. This week, we're going to be talking a lot about tense, uh, as opposed to some of the previous weeks where things just were tense.
0: Interesting. That's quite the statement to make at the top. It's quite the thesis statement to put out there.
1: Exactly. I like having a thesis statement.
0: It makes you feel calm and confident.
1: I've never been either of those things.
0: <laughs> oh, fair enough. All right, so this week we're talking about season 2 episode 5 called Scatterpoint, which aired August 7th, 2008. Uh was written by a name that I did not look up apparently. Hang on. Who wrote it's this? Written part? by a ghost. A ghost. Ooh. It's written by anonymous. This is the first episode we've recorded since Halloween, so it could be written by a ghost and it would be on theme for the time that we're recording it, if not Uh the time that we are releasing this.
1: I mean, it's not really on theme for the time we're recording it. It's on theme if we're late. Like, this year we had like a late bonus Halloween because Halloween was on a Thursday. And so like that weekend after, everyone was like, it's maybe still Halloween, kinda, but like we're well past that.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Actually, the Hall- I we celebrated Halloween the weekend before. So, like my Halloween, the Halloween party that I went to, and like the day that I actually like put on a costume and everything, was uh, the Saturday before Halloween,
1: which I was think very that odd.
0: Was,
1: that was the majority response. I think. I think most people did it the weekend before because I think we have an idea of you can celebrate Halloween as early as you want, but once you get into November, it's too late. Then it's turkey time.
0: Right. Well, because, like, it's once something is over, it's not as exciting. Like, Christmas, like, up until the 25th, like, it's Christmas period for a long time. But as soon as December 26th rolls around, Christmas who? Then it's
1: Boxing Day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And everyone watches the boxing.
0: Yeah, and you beat the shit out of anyone who's still celebrating Christmas. Yeah, it just feels wrong to celebrate things after the fact. But it doesn't feel wrong to celebrate them before, even though they are equally incorrect.
1: Okay, here's but here's my question. How early before until it's actually after again? Mm. Is, is it like a six-month period?
0: Um, I think it's considered after if it's within a month of the holiday. Maybe even three weeks of it. But anytime after three weeks after is before.
1: Is before. That's good to know.
0: Yeah, that's that's the so, rule. You heard it. Here actually, first.
1: <laughs> by the time by the time this episode goes out, it will be before Halloween again. So, ooh. I'm
0: Sweet. glad that we found a way to justify the fact that I didn't look up the writers of this episode. Okay, so the writers of this episode, according to IMDb, are Rashad, Rasani, Rasani, and Michael Horowitz. Uh, Rashad has gone on to write. On 911, The Gifted, Shades of Blue, and Allegiance. He was also on Burn Notice for quite a while. He wrote 16 episodes of Burn Notice over the course of the years. So clearly, including he was, next week's. Yeah, including next week's episode. Uh, and then Michael Horowitz has written. For Also for The Gifted, but in, in addition to Prison Break, which is a hugely underrated television series, I should rewatch Prison Break. Uh, and also a show called Complications, which I don't what know if, as much about.
1: What if this podcast took a prison break to watch Prison Break?
0: I would watch Prison Break for like a bonus episode. It's entirely unrelated except for the fact that it shares some writers with Burn Notice. But Prison Break is uh, like a really good show. Have you seen Prison Break?
1: I have not seen Prison Break. I don't like stories about prison.
0: It is about prison. So that that's a bummer for you. But it is an excellent show. It's like, honestly, it's a, in some ways a better spy show than Burn Notice. Uh, because of like how intricate and like heisty it has to be. Um, do you know the premise of Prison Break?
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm glad if we're talking I had, about
0: this right
1: now. <laughs> I, if I had to guess. Someone's trying to break out of that prison.
0: Uh, so the premise, and this is not a spoiler. The premise is that uh, so there's two brothers, right? The older okay, brother. I'm with you so far. The the older their brother, parents
1: had sex at least twice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, they are different ages. They are not twins. That's important. So the older brother is known to be kind of like a, a crime guy, minorly Wait, so. so.
1: If so, twins aren't a situation of like someone having sex twice in close succession.
0: No. I just mean that if they were twins, they would have only had sex once, necessarily. Like. I know.
1: I, I'm just recalibrating how I thought twins happened.
0: Oh, okay. We can talk about the birds and the bees next. First, we were talking about prison break, so.
1: And then, again, tenses.
0: Sure. So the older brother is kind of a crime guy, but has, like, largely gotten his act together, I think. Or maybe he hasn't, but regardless, he's, he's had some trouble with the law in the past. The younger brother is, like, a super successful... Um, the
1: past... One Arch- of the tenses. <laughs> either
0: I th- he's either an architect or like a civil engineer. Um, some kind of person who is very smart and mathy. Uh, anyways, the older brother gets sent to prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And it's like a pretty serious prison sentence as well. I think he got like framed for murder or something. Mm. And so, uh, and there's also like this big conspiracy. And the younger brother is worried that his older brother is, uh, I think he's maybe he's worried about his life. Maybe he's on death row. I don't remember the circumstances. But point being, the younger brother who's like always been on the right side of the law is like, shit. My older brother is gonna like something bad's gonna happen to him. I have to break him out of prison. We have to have, we have to, you know, prison break. So he gets like this very intricate series of tattoos, which as the series unfolds, turns out to be like his kind of roadmap to himself for how to break out of this prison. Like he did a bunch of research ahead of time. And so he's got this like giant, crazy full body tattoo of like all of the planning that he did to get them out of prison. And so, like, each episode is them like using the, you know, intricate tattoos uh and like deciphering them and like breaking out of prison it's very cool
1: so wait so it's a Blindspot weirdly good show didn't even come up with that idea no the the one thing that blind spot had going for it
0: well blind spot i don't stolen i don't did she do it to herself break? she like doesn't remember i mean
1: i didn't watch that much of the show so yeah, we, she might have done it through. that was a true. mystery
0: that's fair uh, but yeah, no, that was definitely a Prison Break thing. Like, he he coded tattoos all over himself. Um, I don't know. It sounds, like, kind of dumb and, like, it wouldn't last very long, but the first two and a half seasons of Prison Break are legitimately really impressive, uh, you know, and legitimately, like, tense, high-stakes episodes of television. Huh. Highly recommend for fans of Burn Notice. Speaking of Burn Notice, this episode was... A show about uh, a spy? A show about a spy. It was directed by... Tell me, who
1: directed this episode?
0: uh, Rod Hardy, who also directed Identity back in season one. This is the last episode directed by Rod Hardy, and uh, gotta say, yeah, I agree. Should not have directed more episodes. Overall, underwhelming, and in some cases, like, not good.
1: Did he eventually go back to doing porn?
0: I assume so. I mean, what else are you going to do? Yeah. It's like when you it, when, know, your
1: parents, when your parents name you Rod Hardy. Exactly.
0: It's like when they name you Dr. Jones, uh, first name Doctor, middle name Jones, last name also Jones. Like, what are you going to be? Not a doctor?
1: Exactly.
0: Dr. Jones uh, Jones either way, has to be a yeah, doctor.
1: Exactly. And there's no time for love for him.
0: No time. Cool. So the IMDb description of this episode, not an episode of Prison Break, but in fact, this episode of Burn Notice reads, Michael poses as a safecracker to help out a reformed ex-con who is unwittingly part of a heist and tries to sneak into the heavily guarded office of his handler. Meanwhile, Sam gets an unexpected proposition from his girlfriend.
1: That sure sounds like the episode that I watched. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can confirm. Let's get into the weeds.
1: Good job. Is that the name of the segment?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Now we get into the weeds.
0: Mm-hmm. I thought it was nice. So uh, we pick up where we left off last episode with Michael and Fee staking out Carla's P.O. box that they got from um, the it, the agriculture guy that fleeced Sam last episode. Uh, this, when, I
1: feel like this is the most we've ever picked up right where we left off since, like, the two-parter finale.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's, like, literally, like, moments later. Um, they wait for a while we get another piece of spy voiceover that's like being a spy is boring and then a little old lady comes and grabs the mail from the P.O. box that they're watching <gasps> oh my she's on the move they do all of this like defensive driving or offensive driving and like they've like set up all this stuff so that they could you know tail whoever comes to get the P.O. box but it turns out that was all pretty because unnecessary. she might be
1: a secret spy yeah they're exactly like, I don't know Sometimes little old ladies are secret spies.
0: And sometimes sometimes they're they're little old ladies. Uh, So basically it turns out she is of the just a little old lady variety. They follow her up to an office building. But that's that seems like Carla's place because there's actually quite a bit of security out front. The way that Michael tests whether or not like the random workers and cafe goers are in fact like undercover security is that he orders a pizza and like keeps telling him where to and not to park. And so, like, there's this this poor pizza delivery guy driving up and down the streets, like, backing up, going forward, and, like, acting really erratic so that, like, he can kind of draw out the security, which I enjoyed. But also don't 100% understand, like, where does the pizza guy think Michael is that he can see where he is? Like, is, does he think Michael Weston is just, like, watching him from, like, the office building?
1: Yeah. I. Because how yeah, could he be coming what's...
0: downstairs to get the pizza but also... <laughs> within sightline to tell him no not there, no not there.
1: I think maybe I, I feel like stereotypically
0: uh-huh. in
1: the realm of fiction and fiction shorthand, um pizza delivery guys are dumb. He's just like doing whatever a voice of authority is telling him to do. Do you think if this was shot in twenty nineteen he would have been an Uber driver? Yeah. I think he would have been Uh
0: maybe. I mean they're <laughs> There's pizza delivery in 2019,
1: Chris. No, I know there is. Like, oh, boy, I maybe, know.
0: Maybe he would have been, like, a TaskRabbit driver. Because, like, a yeah, driver would, would just, like, that. park, n- like, not move, refuse to do anything to help you, and then leave and charge you five bucks for your for your pain.
1: That's very true. But, yeah, it would be, it would be like, or... It would, yeah, it'd be some
0: kind of gig something. economy bullshit, for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. So that's the cold open. It was actually a pretty short cold open, all things considered. It was fun. It was fine. Um, Not that cold. (laughs) Not that cold, not that warm. But after the lukewarm open, Sam and Michael get smoothies. Well... Michael gets a smoothie and Sam takes it out of his hand and drinks it for himself with Michael looking very upset about this development. Sam has looked into the building that they tracked Carla to and found out where her office is like, you know, second floor, two windows over or whatever. Uh, but so now that they know this information, they need to set up surveillance. But before they can get to the details of like how they're going to set up the surveillance. Sam does the thing that, like, recently engaged women do, where he moves super unnaturally to show off a new piece of bling. In Sam's case, it's a new, nice watch. An $8,000 watch, as Michael quotes. Apparently, it's been exactly one month since he and Veronica said that they loved each other. So it's their one-month anniversary from I Love You. And he got a very expensive watch for his trouble. Uh, This will become important later. Uh, I mean,
1: I think it's kind of important now. Love is important.
0: Love is important, but not so important that you like have a new anniversary specifically for the date that you say I love you.
1: I think you hate love. Mm. Uh, do you hear that, listeners of this podcast? Brie Castellini hates love.
0: It's not that I hate love. I just don't it's think that it you exists. loathe it.
1: You don't. Okay, that's I fair. don't. So I don't. Like, I
0: don't. I don't hate love. Chris. You're not like I'm Richard
1: Dawkins, where like <laughs> you're like. You hate God, but also seem to think about him all the time. For someone who <laughs> thinks that they don't exist,
0: oh, you're no, love don't. agnostic. I'm not even love. Ag- I'm a love atheist, but I'm just not an asshole like Richard Dawkins. Um, <laughs> this is all canon. Bree, the co- podcast co-host of Burn Notice, does not believe in love, a la yes. Richard Dawkins, but less of a dick. Um, anyways, so Michael gets this home. This is like the
1: first. This is like. The first, like, beginning of a Hallmark movie. You're (laughs) a young, hip podcaster that doesn't believe in love.
0: (laughs) Oh, fuck. Now I have to write it. Chris, why have you done this to me? I don't have time to write this Hallmark holiday movie, but now I must. I am compelled.
1: Oh, I'm an agent of chaos.
0: Yes, that's what we know about you. So anyways, Michael gets home uh, from his failed smoothie run with Sam, failed for Michael, not for Sam, uh, when a man who knows his name wanders up having been referred by someone presumably Michael has helped before. This stinks of a paying job, so of course Michael wants nothing to do with him. His, this guy's name is Trevor, and he heard about Michael from an old prison friend whose con Michael busted, uh, and now Trevor trusts him because he's like, you seem like a good guy. I wish they had done a little more work in terms of, like, which old prison buddy of Trevor's Michael's Michael had busted the con of. I just think it would have been, like, a nice, like, hey, remember in season one?
1: Yeah, that could have been nice. But...
0: I, like, I kind of, like, my headcanon is he's talking about the guy from Lost, from Identity, from the last episode that Rod Hardy directed? Um, because that was a con that he was running, and that guy had definitely been to prison before. So Do You like, think
1: Rod Hardy was thinking, like, yeah, it's definitely that guy.
0: I hope so. But yeah, it just feels like a missed opportunity to like not, you know, reference an earlier episode of the show. You it know. does
1: seem like it is a weird amount of lazy but not lazy enough. Right. Where it's like either go a little bit more and like make up a story and name something or just like. Who even cares? Yeah, you're you're Michael Weston. You save people. I heard.
0: Yeah, we and really. Aside from it being like the way in which Trevor is referred to Michael Weston, I think what the purpose of that story is is to um, establish that Trevor has been to prison but doesn't want to live that life anymore. Because that's kind of a theme of this episode is Trevor, like, has worked really hard to get out of this system. um, But he keeps getting pulled back in and he has a son now and his son doesn't want him to do crime anymore. He's like, Daddy, please don't be a crime guy. And Trevor's like, I will not be a crime guy.
1: So just so the audience know, he doesn't have a son. He has a son.
0: (laughs) I'm so sorry. You're right. That is a complete distinction that I should have made clearer.
1: He has a boy.
0: My boy, my beautiful boy. So anyways, so Trevor continues talking despite the fact that Michael's like, "Mm, you seem like you're a paying customer and I don't like that at all. Uh, And Trevor is the, so Trevor's backstory is that he's a wheel guy. So not only does he like make the getaway map but he also, instead of just being like a getaway driver, he procures cars for everyone on a team, parks them nearby, and then gives each individual car their own individual, like, escape route. So he's like the he's guy that plans all that He's basically
1: Baby Driver.
0: But Baby Driver just drives everyone in one car. This guy actually, I feel like, is more impressive than Baby Driver because he doesn't actually need to be the driver. He plans it so that it doesn't look like they're escaping. They all basically, like, scatter. Scatter point. Oh, I get it. Uh, and so, like, after a job, everyone goes to their own cars, and each of the cars has its own route back to base so that they're not, like, caught together. And so if one person is caught, like, everyone else can still get away. Uh, it's actually a pretty interesting job. I don't know. I was impressed by Trevor. That's that, that that requires a lot of, like, planning that the quote-unquote wheel guy usually doesn't have to worry about. Um, and... Yeah, usually
1: the wheel guy's a hot shot. In the world of Bird Notice, wheel guys aren't the hot shots. It's the safecrackers
0: yeah save are
1: the hot shots
0: yeah as we learn soon but anyway so he went to prison but he's turned it around he has a son so he doesn't want to do that anymore he knows timo from before timo's a bad guy and it's like hey trevor you're good with cars and trevor's like nah man i don't do that anymore and timo's like you're good with cars and you're doing it again and, and uh otherwise i'll like hurt your family And Trevor can't like leave the state for a while. Yeah, exactly. But but Trevor is can't like leave the state like Michael usually recommends for people in this situation because that would be a violation of his parole. And the whole thing is he doesn't want to go back to jail. He has a son. So Michael's like, fine. Like
1: I am a son, and
0: that is my personal connection. I will take your case. So yeah. So eventually, Michael is unmoved by this plight or by the jewels that Trevor offers him. That he just has for some reason but they're definitely legal but that's finally when trevor reveals that he has a son he wants to do right by and michael weston is like all right i'm in
1: i think we we made a big mistake as a society when we moved away from a jewel-based economy
0: (laughs) yeah i really want to be able to trade a full garnet for rent yeah Michael and Sam go to stake out the first meet of Miami 11, and we meet the rest of the top tier heist crew that Timo has put together. Their muscle is, because feminism, a woman named Candy with an I and a K which is a stupid way to spell candy and a stupid name for a female character. There's also other people on the team. It does not matter who they are. Michael figures that it should be easy enough to get the heist called off, which is ultimately like in their mind, the best way to deal with this situation is not like to dismantle it. Cause that's a lot of work. They figure if they can just get the heist called off because it has like a pretty short window of time that they can pull it off, uh, then, you know, Trevor is going to be good for a while because this is a job that Timo has been planning for like a pretty long time and he only has a small window for it to work. So if they fuck with that window, everything's fine. In order to do this, Michael figures that uh, the best way to do this because heists like this are so precarious, they're all, you know, it's such a like well-oiled machine that if one member of the team gets arrested, um, the rest of the team is going to get spooked and it's just all going to fall apart. So he decides that the target of this like, domino effect the first domino is going to be the existing safe cracker guy so he's a he's a big guy who is on probation and his his probation requires that he can't drink which they think that should be pretty easy to do and therefore they send in fiona to meet him at lunch as fifi with a french accent unfortunately the safe the safe cracker guy is not swayed by french fifi so uh, that's a bummer because the calls, that the cops that they had conveniently called to show up like at, in perfect timing have shown up. But this guy is not violating his parole. So Sam has to pull a uh, loud random asshole and start yelling at the guy. And the situation escalates to the point where like Sam keeps getting punched by the guy because he has sufficiently loud asshole his way into like making this guy upset, but the cops have like gotten distracted with something else. So Sam is getting the shit kicked out of him and he has to keep like baiting this guy and the cops still are not paying attention. And Fiona could do something, but she's enjoying too much seeing Sam get the shit kicked out of him until eventually This is a really
1: funny scene. It's a very
0: good scene. It's it's great physical comedy, great like escalation of the loud asshole bit that we've seen, but we love, uh a lot of like good fee expressions. And then finally she just sort of like out of nowhere screams really loud so that the cops will finally pay attention. Uh, Safecracker guy is arrested, and everything's good, right? Uh, That's done. This is definitely
1: one of those episodes of Burn Notice where it seems like it ends before it begins.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And then he he goes, and he gets Carla, and everything's fine.
1: I think this episode didn't have enough spy tips. (laughs)
0: Um, Unfortunately, when Michael meets with Trevor later that day, it turns out the job's still on. Timo said he's been working this angle for too long to let an idiot unravel it. Michael decides that this is this is fine, too. Now there's a job opening, so he will act as the safecracker to keep an eye on things from the inside. Uh, but before they get to that heist, Michael has another heist to pull off because later that night, Michael plans uh, to plant a wireless webcam pointed at Carla's office. Just before he can escape, though, security comes a calling, so Michael has to hang off the side of the building by his fingers. Spy stuff. It's very impressive. Your fingers are, like, not very strong, so, like, you got to be No, pretty- they're not you got to be pretty buff to hang off the side of the building literally by the tips of your fingers. Um,
1: and it just seems like, okay, there, there was an easier way to do that, right? That seemed like a needlessly hard way to do that.
0: I think it was like he had limited time, so he was like, I could do a couple of things, but it might be fastest to just throw myself off the side of the building.
1: And hang by the tips of my fingers, the very tips. Well, luckily,
0: Michael Weston is very strong, so.
1: He does a lot of finger-based exercises.
0: Yeah, he does, like, push-ups, but, like, on his fingertips. Have you seen people do that? Push-ups, but, like, using their fingertips instead of, like, the palms?
1: <laughs> that is the most horrifying thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> push-ups. God, why would anyone?
0: <laughs> but at what cost? Um, yes. So the next day, Sam and Michael review the footage that they uh, took of Carla's building, and find a possible blind spot in Carlos' security, but Sam can't stick around to bask in the success of him, like, finding what they needed from this footage because he's getting dinner with Veronica over their anniversary, and, quote, Sammy's getting some hammy tonight.
1: It's a horrifying line. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a horrifying line. But, but, like, the thing that's really fascinating to me is the face that Michael makes. Which I find very hard to read.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's not quite disturbed, but it's not quite happy for him either.
1: Like, it seems like he goes through a lot of emotions. Like, <laughs> like he's like... A real face oh, journey, if, like as it were. Yeah, he's like, oh, that's Sam. And then he, like, thinks about it. And he's like, ooh. Like, but, like, is Mike is Michael happy that Sam, that
0: Sam is having sex?
1: I mean, I, I guess. I think
0: he's ambivalent to it. I think it's just sort of a given. He's like, "Oh, Sam's having sex." I wish he wouldn't tell me about are it, we- but I'm glad. I'm glad my boy's getting some. Is is anyone
1: ever happy that their friends are having sex?
0: I think it depends on the circumstance. That's fair. Like you know, uh, broad, like people who are like in long term relationships, I don't really give a shit whether or not they're having sex. But like you know, if it's been a while and someone like really wants it, I'm willing to be like supportive of you know. Some new nookie?
1: I mean, supportive is different from happy. like, well,
0: like I can be happy for someone. I can
1: be, like, supportive of your improv career.
0: <laughs> you don't want to go watch it? Yeah. Neat. Uh, okay. So Sammy's getting some hammy tonight. Uh, and speaking of, we're actually going to watch that happen. Um, so I guess we are going to this improv show. So we, we, we cut to Veronica and Sam in like a fancy restaurant, like just kind of kissy talking back and forth. Veronica's like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy I met you. It's like my life wasn't complete until I met you. And Sam's like, baby, I feel the exact same way. And it goes back and forth for a while. And we're kind of like, why are we in this scene? And then it happens.
1: I will say Bruce Campbell's version of being cool is just Elvis. <laughs> He's like one of those guys that thinks like the end all and be all of cool is Elvis.
0: Well, it was probably like the end all be all of cool when he was growing up, right?
1: That's fair. He did also kind of play Elvis one time in a movie. and That's a very fun movie.
0: Did he? I did not know that.
1: He no, He played... Oh, have you ever heard of the movie Bubba Hotep? Mm-mm. Bubba Hotep is an amazing movie wherein... Um, Bruce Campbell, and I forget the other actor, um, are both, like, old guys that are either in, like, an asylum or maybe, like, a nursing home. I think they're in a nursing home. And they they both believe that they're actually famous dead people. Like, he thinks that he's Elvis and Elvis is still alive and that he's hiding in this nursery home. And his friend thinks that he's actually uh, JFK. Huh. Uh, and and everyone thinks that they're senile old men. And then a mummy attacks the, them. <laughs> And so they have to they're these yeah they're these old men and they like fight off this mummy it's a wonderfully weird little movie
0: that sounds like a lot of bruce campbell's filmography it really is good for him uh so anyways this this whole scene kind of leads up to a moment where veronica proposes to sam which i really like as a choice i like that she's like i am a woman who knows what she wants? And I do not need gender roles to tell me who is supposed to ask whom. My boy, my special Sammy, will you marry me?" Uh, she says it just like that, too. It's a very odd sort of departure from tone, but I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, we don't really know what happens with that. We just kind of like see Bruce Campbell look sort of terrified, and then we cut away. We cut away specifically to Michael practicing safe cracking while Fee uh, wanders into the apartment and screws him up at his last, like, at the last minute, and he's like, come on, Fi, I, I only had one number to go. And Fi goes, the last number is always the same, C4. That doesn't make any sense because C is not a number, but it was a very cool line if it had made sense.
1: I mean, four is a number.
0: And, like... C isn't. This isn't Battleship. I, uh, but, like,
1: also sometimes in um, math, like letters or numbers... <laughs> Like, X Well, or in this I. context,
0: though, it does not make sense. It was a very cool line. Um, and I like that, you know, it's it's a it's a cool way for Fiona to just say, like, why are you safe cracking? Just blow up the fucking safe. Uh, and then there's some sort of technical explanation for why he can't just blow up the safe. I don't know. I was not paying attention. The important thing is that Fiona's like, this takes too long. Blow it up. And Michael's like, no, these things take time. And then the scene is over. Uh, so then... Uh, we, we get to this week's alias Michael as Joseph, not Joe. He will not somebody Never calls Joe. him Joe and he's like Joseph. The only because thing- as we
1: explained, like he if he's gonna be a safe cracker, he has to be like a hot shot that's what safe crackers are they're the artists i believe he says
0: yeah uh, yeah i do think he says something about that um and the only really distinguishing characteristic of joseph is that he has a much deeper voice than michael weston usually speaks with but that seems to be the only real like distinguishing characteristic otherwise he's just a guy who cracks safes which we can dis- decide later uh whether or not that like counts as a distinct alias that he has unveiled here for us today. So uh, he meets the team and the way that they decide to like initiate him to decide if he's like going to be a good hotshot or a bad hotshot is they take him into a bodega to like test his skills Um, and Timo walks in and gives the cashier a wad of cash that, and and says to him, you just quit. And the guy's like, okay. So he takes the cash and runs, which I feel like is probably not a good decision long term for that guy because like, you know, his boss is going to find out. He's not going to get very good references. And how long is that wad of cash really going to last him? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like long term, it's much better to just like have a job.
1: Also, I kind of feel like half the time, the person behind the counter of a bodega is someone who owns the bodega.
0: Right. Like, how, how would it's, you know if this is just, like, some random employee?
1: Yeah, you just quit. I own this place. <laughs> what if that happened? What if it, this is, like, the third bodega that they're at?
0: <laughs> and every other one that they've gone to, they've been burned at?
1: Yes. I mean, I... Michael's always been burned.
0: Uh, uh, so anyways, so... Um, the the cashier leaves and they they're like there's a safe behind the counter like go do that and michael's like no i'm not going to do that this is child's play like this this safe is beneath me if you want someone to break into a bodega safe then like hire some random kid off the street uh but timo is unsatisfied by this answer and has uh the candy the muscle point a gun at michael michael is still unmoved then he points a gun at Trevor, who is also there, because Trevor, you know, in the series of events, has referred Joseph to the team. Uh, and now Michael, you know, has to get the lead out because Trevor is being threatened with lead. So Michael cracks a safe. It's a very easy safe. And it, everything is it fine, I guess. To me,
1: it occurs to me that there was actually no reason for him to, like, refuse
0: but it's an, it's like, one of those, like, dominance things. Like, Michael Weston always has to, like, play hard to get <laughs> because... Yeah, I know.
1: What I love about it is that I don't actually think that it makes things easier for him, but, like, he's very committed to the character that he started. So he has to refuse, not because it will make his life any easier. In fact, it makes it slightly harder. Like, he gets people to be mad at him and, like, pull a gun on him when he didn't have to. But that, just so he could keep his character consistent.
0: All right. I'll give it to him. But yeah, that, like that. this is pretty much just like a benchmark of Michael Weston aliases. They are difficult to work with because apparently it just makes them seem more real. If they seem too agreeable, that's suspicious. Uh, but they, I guess, the breaking into this very easy safe, they're like, this guy can definitely do this very high stress job that we need him to do. So let's get to heist planning. When they get to the heist planning meeting, Michael asks too many logistical questions and Timo gets frustrated and makes everybody leave. However, he keeps Trevor behind, which is a little bit tense until we learn in the next scene that it's actually not bad news. Timo just had to give Trevor a nearby location to stash all of the team's various cars uh, so they can narrow. So now the the good guy team can narrow down where the heist is taking place. Um, because they know where the cars are, so it has to be like within, you know, a couple hundred meters of like the, the place that they're hitting, and they know that they're stealing jewels, so that narrows it down further. And, you know, cool, good news. We, we have more information. They can go tip off the place, and everything will be fine. Uh, in this scene, Sam also reveals to Michael that he was proposed to by Veronica, and Michael has nothing useful to say about it. So that scene just ends. I um, think
1: Michael does the right thing here, which is which is like whatever someone's asking, like whatever someone's asking for advice, they're like they want you to tell them what to do, but also like that's never a good idea.
0: Sure, because then you and, become responsible for like a really important decision in their life, and that's exactly like a place to be. And,
1: and the thing is that like, and everyone when like everyone always has a thing that they want that they want you to tell them anyway. or a thing that you're afraid they're going to tell them and like the most important the best thing you can do is like figure out what that thing is and like tell them to do that have them confront why they do or do not want a certain answer because like like sam already knows that he wants to say like sam knows that he wants to say no but he feels like he shouldn't for some reason and so like he has to confront that
0: I guess. It's it's a very short and unnecessary scene. The next scene is a little bit more useful in that Trevor and Michael go to stake out the heist location that they've figured out. But it turns out that one of the other crew members from the heist team is already employed there. So they can't just like walk into the front desk and be like, hey, by the way, you're about to get robbed because like that would tip off the heist team that like, you know, Trevor and or um, Joseph is you know, involved in fucking up their plan. But Michael's like, don't panic. We'll figure out a just a more subtle way of like tipping them off that something is up. Sam, so then now we, we all regroup back outside of Carla's office that we've figured out. Sam pays a kid to exploit the security gap that they have discovered so that Michael can get inside while Sam and Fee stand watch. Sam asks Fee for advice about um, his new situation. Specifically, he asks, what's a present that says, I love you, but I don't want to marry you. And Fiona's like, that's not a thing, Sam. Why can't you marry her? And this is where we finally get the piece of information that Sam has been keeping from us, and it's that Sam is actually already married. He got, like, drunk in the 70s, randomly got married, regretted it immediately, but didn't want to do paperwork to get it annulled, so they just stayed married.
1: This is a thing that happens to television characters all the time. Right? And has never happened to anyone in real life.
0: I'm also pretty sure that, like... You're not allowed to get a marriage license if you're too inebriated. I think there are like rules about that, especially because it's like paperwork and like you have to file it with a clerk's office and stuff. I don't think you're I don't think it's that easy to accidentally get married.
1: Yeah. And then but then there's it's this situation of like you're married and then you just never do anything about it.
0: Because it's too much work. Once you're sober, you don't want to deal with this. Anyways, Fiona ends the scene by saying like, Sam, just tell her the truth. Like, if you guys really love each other this much, you, you know, should be able to communicate with her clearly about this. And he's like, okay, I'll try that. Which I actually do think is good advice. Like, I am a a, a radical honesty kind of person. I firmly believe that like, the best course of action in most cases is just to like tell the other person exactly how you're feeling and like what's up. Otherwise, like, you know, it leads to all sorts of nonsense in the future. Oh,
1: I I agree, I am also on that side.
0: Uh, we'll see how that pans out in a later scene. Maybe. So Michael, uh, there's like this really good sort of sequence where the security is breached, the guy that they basically get to wander off as a result of the skateboarding kid that Sam paid off is like walking away right as Michael is walking up to the to the um the office building when he gets a call from Timo which fucks up the whole plan because Timo needs him right away like this is the deal of being a part of the heist team is like when I call you come so Timo calls and Michael reluctantly has to come
1: it this is the thing that I have been asking for the entire time we've been watching this show
0: is saying the plots
1: inter- no the <laughs> plots intersecting
0: yeah exactly uh, and I think that they do a better job of that in the next couple of episodes they finally understand that like maybe the things that happen in the same 45 minute period should relate to one another in some way anyways so Michael's frustrated but um you know you he gotta, he, gotta he's got a he's got a client he's got to save Trevor and his boy So uh, Michael calls Sam and is like, hey, Timo just called. We got to abort this mission, but can you guys follow me? Because I think something might be going on. And it's lucky he does that, because when Michael gets to the heist headquarters, it turns out it's time for the heist. uh, Trevor tries to, like, leave, like, run away. But Michael uh, is like, no, 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 this sucks. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. I thought we were going to get it canceled, too. But we, you know. If you run away now, like they're gonna kill you, and or you are going to like go back to jail. So like we have to see this through. But don't worry, I will figure it out. Michael has to send a message to Sam and Fiona because he knows that they're nearby, but he can't like call them. He tries to like go to pee, and Timo's like, "Where are you going? Give me your phone." And Michael's like, "I'm going. I'm going to take a piss. What do?" You- like, do you want to watch? And he's like, No, but give me your phone. Like, I no one can communicate from now on. So basically, what Michael has to do is write a note really quickly on like a piece of paper that he has, kind of hold, crumple it up, hold it to the air, hoping that like wherever uh, Sam and Fiona are, they they're watching him. And then he like drops the garbage, which I actually think is a pretty cool way of like communicating.
1: No, yeah, that was Im-
0: improvised smart. message sending. I thought that was a good, that was a cool tip. I enjoyed that. I like to call out when the show does like actually interesting spy things because uh like that's what I love it's about the show. It's not as often as it should be. It's not as often as it should be, exactly. So anyways, that now it's time for the heist. All all things considered, the heist is like pretty boring. Like they it's a heist. They go into a garage, they shut the door, they hold <laughs> the security guards at gunpoint. It's heist time.
1: It's a, it's a very boring heist.
0: It's it's like, a honestly pretty are, boring heist. Heists
1: are fun, but like not this heist.
0: Yeah, not this heist at all. Like, this is a pretty straightforward, like, smash and grab sort of heist. Uh, however, the one notable thing about this sequence... I, I
1: think at this point, it's not even a heist. It's just a robbery.
0: Actually, that's probably a good point. I mean, it's not a robbery. Be, I mean, because, like, the that one guy whose name doesn't matter, like, has a job there. Like, they've clearly been planning this for a while. But also, like, Timo, what did you need two years for for this? It seems like you just need to drive into the place... Take everyone hostage and break into the safe.
1: I think that guy had to work there for two
0: years. (laughs) He had to get employed at least twice.
1: Exactly. To like get promoted to the position that he's in. Like it has to be because yeah, there's no other like um, he had to know what kind of safe that they had.
0: Pretty easy to get a hold of. Just pretend (laughs) that you're a, a customer and say, hey, where's your safe?
1: Hey, I'm a I'm a big shot rich guy. Let me see you safe. You can't see me, but I'm kind of putting my fin- my fin- thumbs in my lapels, you know, like rich men do.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Uh, don't rich men have suspenders? That's what you're supposed to put it in, like, kind of like thumbing your suspenders, like. Hmm, yes, I have. That's what I thought. Money. That's in what I was... Banks.
1: But I was like, do rich guys have suspenders? Can rich guys? Can rich men not afford a belt?
0: No, I think it's that poor people can't afford suspenders.
1: Are suspenders (laughs) susperia?
0: Well, there's more fabric to them, so...
1: Are suspenders susperia?
0: I would say so, yeah. Uh, Anyways, so the only important thing about the actual, like, heist (laughs) happening is that when they put Michael alone in a room to, like, crack this safe, that a skill that he apparently knows how to do... um, You
1: seem surprised that a spy knows... How to I'm crack not safes but I'm not surprised you, that
0: a spy can pick a lock but why the fuck like wh- what what what, what do you day think in spy where class? do you think
1: where do you think they put documents in safes?
0: I guess that's true. I don't know is there but like why is he keeping I don't know it just seems like Michael Weston has a lot of sus- skills that he's suspiciously amazing at for no reason other than I'm a spy. I would just like a little more world building is all I am saying.
1: The thing is that
0: what was his professor to be a saying?
1: spy, you have to be good at everything.
0: Apparently. That is that is what I am picking up from this show. There does not seem to be a although, thing that like, Michael Weston is Michael not good Weston, at other than interpersonal communication.
1: Yeah, this is true. I, although it, it did seem like Michael Weston was a reasonably famous spy. So, like, it might be that most spies are just whatever. But, like... Michael Weston was a super spy.
0: He was like a savant at spy stuff was, specifically. Exactly. Good to know.
1: You know because he had an abusive childhood.
0: Sure, yes, but we can't engage with that properly because the writers don't know how to. Um, so again, we're, I've been trying Basically, to build up. Ab- i ab- ab- trying to build up to this the superpowers. One <laughs> Chris, please let me get to this one moment of the episode, the most important moment of the episode.
1: Yes, go ahead.
0: The most important moment of the episode is that while Michael Weston is doing his safe cracking, as we have established over the course of the last two seasons, the show does not know how to do montages of, like, him in one room just doing a series of things. And so they always have some sort of bizarre split screening effect to like showcase the passing of time because they don't ha- know how to do it any other way. Uh, except for this one, this episode, where the way in which they show the passing of time as Michael Weston does his safe cracking is that they have just a series of escalating uh close-up shots that are layered over each other in the exact like same picture frame. and picture. Yeah, picture in picture, like layered on top of each other like a solitaire game that you've just won. If you want to see an example of this, just look at our podcast art because this is the screenshot that I took that made me convinced that I had to start a Burn Notice podcast because this is such an insane fucking frame of network television. I could not believe it. I knew I had to discuss it. So that is why this is the iconic shot from our uh, podcast art and our Twitter um, cover image, all of that. I love this photo. It's so stupid. It's the worst editing choice of all time. Why have you Here's done Here's what this? I
1: think happened. I think they shot this sequence and then like like the director and the editor sat down and looked at it and like... God, this is boring. (laughs) Because, like, any one of the shots are just Jeffrey Donovan walking around in a room with wires and, like, hooking things. Then it feels like like a
0: directing challenge that maybe they should have done something interesting with.
1: And they're like, well, what can we do with this? We'll just, yeah, we'll just, like, put it together in this weird montage. Like, it is so weird, but, like, because... Not one of the shots is good.
0: No, but there's They're so many of them you get overwhelmed. Shots.
1: Exactly, it's there's so many like shots so, to like distract you from the sh- fact that every shot is bad and boring and low energy. Like Jeffrey Donovan looks so bored. Like there's no urgency to his performance. There's no urgency to any of the things he's doing. He looks like your cable guy setting up the cable.
0: I will say, I think maybe that is a choice because the whole point is that Michael is trying to like run out the clock on the heist so that he doesn't actually break into the thing uh, and they all have to like disperse. So he probably is taking his time. Anyway, so uh, Michael's bored cable guy routine pays off because Sam pulls the alarm early Um, because they know how much time Timo told Michael he was going to have. So they're like, let's just cut it early so that they'll have to, you know, panic and run out. It works. The heist is aborted. Um, Michael pretends that he wants to keep trying, like, no, 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 we can get the jewels. Like, give me some time. And Timo's like, no, 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 it's too risky. We all got to get out of here. And so Michael hands him like a bag of his stuff. But they're like kind of out of earshot from the rest of the crew, which is important. Uh, everyone, like, takes off all their clothes. Like, they all had, like, jumpsuits on because they were pretending to be, like, maintenance workers or some shit. Um, And they all take off their jumpsuits to reveal, like, normal street clothes underneath. They burn all of that inside of the van that they drove in on to, like, remove any trace of themselves. And then they all go their separate ways because, as we remember, Trevor had set up everyone with their own car and route. We also see Sam take the air out of one of the tires for Timo's car. So this is also going to be important soon because it means that Timo can't rendezvous with everyone. Speaking of rendezvous, the heist bros minus Timo regroup at their hideout and everyone's upset that they came away with nothing. And Michael's like, What do you mean we came away with nothing? We got the jewels. And they're like, What? Where are the jewels? Michael's like, Oh, I didn't you see I gave them to Timo back at the at the heist. Like he he said he was gonna take them and like them somewhere safe and um, they're like, oh, that's fucked up. We should go back inside and wait for him to get here. Uh, But, like, I guess it's good that we got the jewels, right? So they all start walking towards, like, the hideout building because they're all kind of outside, like, in their cars when Fiona blows the fucking thing up in a very big and cool explosion. Honestly, I would say one of the better explosions on this show was very huge and satisfying. I very much enjoyed it. Uh, Basically, they're setting up a scenario where Timo has turned on them and is double-crossing them. And uh, now Timo's the bad guy. So, you know, things will take yeah, care of itself.
1: Exactly. Because there's no honor among thieves. You ever, you ever think about the aftermath of all these explosions that Fiona is setting off?
0: That there's like an arson like, investigator in Miami that's just like,
1: what is the connection? <laughs> yeah, because these are a lot of explosions. And, like, yeah, they're kind of out in a warehouse area. But, like, there's got to be someone around who heard it. And then, like, now... Like the fire department has to come. Like all of this stuff is happening now.
0: Fire department has gotten a lot more work done since Fiona came to town. Uh, anyway, so the there's a there's a small scene that happens right after this where Candy goes to confront Teemo uh, and totally murders him. And then that's over, and we never see any of them again.
1: You know what's what bugs me about this though? What is that? Like Candy never demands to see the jewels.
0: Yeah, she just, like, blanketly assumes that this new guy that none of them have ever met is telling the truth. Uh, Says some cryptic stuff to Timo. Timo doesn't say enough appropriately cryptic stuff back, and she just murders him in cold blood in his car.
1: Exactly. And then, but then presumably she would have looked for the jewels, maybe even found the bag that the jewels were supposed to be in, and then seen that there weren't jewels in there.
0: I don't know what to tell you. Timo's murder, so everything's fine.
1: But she should be coming for the jewels.
0: No, 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 no. It's not like, about the jewels, hey, Chris. It's about the principle of the thing.
1: Hey, Joseph, where them jewels?
0: Yeah, you think that she would, like, we were, use this time to interrogate him rather than just have him, like, admit to guilt.
1: Yeah. We were gonna run the jewels.
0: So, anyways, that plot is over, and I guess that's how it resolves. Uh, Michael and Trevor debrief... Uh, But there's no yogurt in the scene at Michael's loft, so it's basically a wash. Nothing interesting happens. He and his son are fine. The end. His son? His son, my boy. um, Michael is rearing to get to Carla's office, and Fee is painting her toenails at the loft and asks if they can wait five minutes so that her toenails can dry. So Michael puts, like, his entire hand on her foot, and it's like, well, now you're going to have to do them over anyway, so let's go. Um... Then as Michael is heading out the door, Sam walks in with all of his stuff, because it turns out after owning up to Veronica that he's technically already married, she kicked him out. So I guess Sam and Michael are roommates once more. Fiona is like, "Uh, well, I would love to stay and talk to you about how I definitely gave you bad advice, but uh, me and Michael have to go. Sorry, bye. So Michael and Fiona go back to Carla's office. They do a new, like, ploy. Does
1: it seem like very kind of almost shallow on Veronica's part.
0: It seems super shallow. She should have, I mean, like, listen, okay. So I. it says, if we're just looking at the facts, it seems shallow. However, I think what we picked up from Sam's performances is that, like, maybe the way that he presented this information was not, like, the most thoughtful way to do so. So I am not ruling out that Sam presented this in a really bad way, that, like, called into question everything that they had but broadly speaking he probably
1: went in and was like hey honey baby your hubby's already got a baby i think that's exactly how it went down
0: and i refuse to acknowledge any explanation to the contrary
1: who do you think loves elvis more uh sam or and other bruce campbell characters or john stamos and other john stamos characters
0: i don't know enough about john stamos to have this conversation
1: that's fair (laughs) audience who do you think loves elvis more Get at us.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is something that you can at us with. It doesn't count as criticism. So please, by all means. Actually, I prefer that you emailed us because it's completely useless. But I think it's funny that we have an email address. One person has emailed us. Thank you to the guy that emailed us whose name I don't have in front of me. But it was a very nice email. And I really appreciate that. You don't often receive nice emails. So thanks for that, bud. Anyways, it's the final scene of the episode. And it's actually a pretty good scene. So I want to get to it. So um, Fiona re-exploits the security uh, hole at Carla's office. Michael finally gets into the office, but as he wanders around, like, it's totally bare. It's like nobody has ever worked in this office. And he walks in and finds, like, a framed photo of himself outside the office the last time that they tried this ploy. And there's, like, a recording or something attached to it that's like... Oh, sloppy, Michael. Um, And then inside, there is also a bunch of balloons with, like, congratulations on them uh, and a bottle of champagne, like, just to, like, really rub in. Like, hey, idiot, (laughs) we saw you. Uh, And then also there is an envelope with a new uh, crossword puzzle within it, which means, uh, uh-oh, Michael's got a new job. So sort of like an insult to injury thing. I really enjoyed that. It seemed like, like, Carla and her gang have been kind of flaunting their, like, mysteriousness and their power over Michael for a couple of episodes now. But this is the first time that it feels like just, it it feels motivated and fun rather than, like, unnecessary. This is a flex that makes sense to me in, like, such a petty way, and I really enjoyed it.
1: Can I say, I don't remember exactly, like, who is behind this whole organization that Carla works for.
0: I don't either. Um,
1: but I'm going to assume that it is Will Shorts from the New York Times crossword.
0: <laughs> that would make sense. Although, yeah, once again, like, I do not understand this crossword puzzle gambit. Like, are they just trying to keep his brain sharp for, like, figuring out clues? Just give him an address.
1: Here, figure out how to get to our meeting in this Sudoku.
0: <laughs> yeah, it just, it, just give him a fucking business card. Just Just send him an email. Tweet at him. At Michael Weston, <laughs> meet me for coffee at this time. Like, it just,
1: <laughs>
0: like, I, I, I appreciate the extra At Wicked the, Pissa. Yeah, at Wicked Pissa JD. Uh, or no, at, uh, at Wicked Pissa MW. Like, I, I get the sort of, like, extraness and pettiness of the balloons and the framed photo and the champagne. That's it. That's enough. I do not understand the point or pettiness of like continuously giving him coded messages to meet them when like, if he doesn't figure it out, nothing happens except for like the agent that they sent to meet with him is just stood up for coffee. It just seems like a lot of work for no reason. I think
1: this is like the organization's like company line that they have to do this. Cause remember last season when, um, when uh, to- Toby was just leaving all these fucking uh, greeting cards everywhere.
0: Right. But that was because he he thought that Michael Weston was trying to kill him. So he was sort of like pissing off. Like he was just sort of sending Michael around and around to like sort of prove his mettle and also to like kind of get a read on him. I mean, it was sort of unnecessary at that point, too. But at that point, it felt sort of like two spies kind of playing games with each other because he was like, oh, you found out my name, huh? Well, I'm going to fuck with you for a little bit.
1: But it was also kind of, it really seemed like not something that Richard Schiff's character would do.
0: Well, given that we know like basically nothing about Richard Schiff's character, it's really hard to say one or the other.
1: can Can you imagine Richard Schiff, especially Richard Schiff, like doing the level of performance and kind of performance that he was doing, on the l- roof of that building, which was kind of a really grumpy, annoyed guy. So in other words, Toby Ziegler.
0: Sure, yeah. We, like, I think we canonically can imagine, agreed that he is Toby Ziegler.
1: Yeah, and can you imagine Toby Ziegler doing any of that? You can't. That is not, like, like, weird sub-joker bullshit. But, like, it makes sense if it's the company line. If, like... Every one of the people who works for this organization has to do stupid bullshit like this because there's someone way high up who thinks it's fun. No one else enjoys this.
0: Well, here's what I will say about Philip Cowan's whole bullshit is that when he actually wants to meet with Michael he just tells him where he does it in a way that like fucks with Michael because it's like hey I'm at this place a mile away and you have 10 minutes to get here otherwise I leave Um, but like it feels more like Philip Cowan is fucking with Michael just to piss him off because Philip Cowan is pissed off because like the a bunch of people the Libyans sent him a fruit basket and like Michael sent him all sorts of bullshit and like Philip Cowan's just pissed and he seems like he's messing with him but when he actually wants to meet he just calls him and says hey meet me on the roof of this building see you in 10 minutes
1: that's fair i also want to take a moment to acknowledge that in the room right now that i am recording um i don't have any lights on because it was daytime when we started recording and i have a big like window and so sunlight was just streaming through the window but now it's late and the sunlight is gone and so i'm sitting in a dark room lit only by my laptop as if i'm burn Notice himself working on a spy thing
0: even when it's like two in the morning and all i'm doing is like you know reading a book on my computer or watching a tv show like the lights are on until it's time for bed
1: i mean i usually have like a light on unless i have my lamp on i just do not like all of the lights on ever
0: Well, we'll unpack that in a later date. But it is now time for Spy Tips, which if I left this in a previous episode, we have changed slightly in that I am not going to read every bit of voiceover that the show had this episode. I'm just going to read the things that I felt were practical tips so that we're only going to adjudicate on and discuss things that might be practical spy tips. Because otherwise we're just reading a lot of like out of context uh, voiceover bits, which don't—it th- doesn't really seem to make sense—kind of dragged the show down. So we're only focusing on what I felt were the most practical tips out of this week's burn notice episode. Tailing a trained operative requires a series of time-consuming preparations, everything from acquiring a car they won't recognize and can't trace to familiarizing yourself to all the local traffic patterns. Of course, since you can never know who's a trained op, there's always a chance it'll be for naught. Uh, there's more to that. But, like, I like this tip because he does outline a couple of things that make for, like, a good tale. It's not the most descriptive, but it's something. Like, I like that I kind of have a little laundry list of, dis- of like, what I should do the next time I want to tail someone.
1: Are you saying that Michael Weston has a good tale?
0: I think Michael Weston would be a great anime girl. <laughs> that is, in fact, what I'm saying. Yes.
1: Oh, that... We should, like, tweet that out. That's, like, <laughs> for this week's F.
0: Michael Wesson would be a great anime girl. Yeah. Covert security is designed to blend in. People you never notice until you see them in action. You can sit and wait for an incident, or you could create your own. So I like this one, too, because it's, like, if you're unsure about, like, what the parameters of, like, a thing you're spying on are, instead of waiting for something to go wrong to, like, see them in action, like cause something to go wrong and then observe them in action it's similar to the tip that we got back in season one with the bureaucracy guy like if you want to know if someone's a bureaucrat or a spy send the cops to them but this i felt was more interesting because it wasn't sending cops at random people which i think we both agree is a not a good thing to do in modern america uh but in fact not swat people yeah, exactly. Don't swap people, but, you know, mildly inconvenience them and make them a little bit nervous and then see how they react. I liked that. And in context with, like, what he actually does in the scene, I felt like it was a good pairing for, like, something practical that I could apply. It's kind of vague,
1: and it does feel like that earlier one, and it feels kind of, it feels a piece with a lot of tips that we've gotten before.
0: But, but in the- <clears throat> I'll give it to you. Okay. I will just say in the past, we have allowed spy tips that like the punchline is in the actual show, like the punchline yeah. is out of. And, and that's kind of where what my thinking is here. So you've allowed it. That's two. Let's move on. You can't stop a door alarm from going off, but you can explain it. Leave a few cigarette butts on the ground and people will assume someone just snuck out for a smoke. So this is when he's on the roof planting the camera at uh, Carla's uh, office. I love
1: how cigarettes are the end-all be-all of clues. (laughs) It's always like, just leave some cigarette butts or, like, analyze the cigarette butts. I think this is something that goes back to Sherlock Holmes. I think Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, like, wrote one scene where he was like, Sherlock Holmes has studied all the different kinds of cigar leavings and since then like mystery writers and like anyone who has to write a clue is always mentioning cigarettes and cigars and things
0: sure but i but i what i also liked about the the way that he set up this scene where he cuz he's he's on the roof of a building and he knows he can't like deal with the security alarm when he opens the door to the the roof so he has to like create an alternate theory but what I one of the things that I liked is that he put the um, the box of cigarettes in the door, so that when the security guard came to like open the door to look out at what was happening, like the cigarette uh, box fell to the ground, um, and that just felt like a like a good detail.
1: No, yeah, that was really practical. I I did I did like this tip.
0: So yeah, so that's practical. Very good. Uh, And then also while he's on the roof, he gives us another piece of spy tip, which is that dental putty is great quick acting glue. Easy to mix, dries fast, and is hard as cement when it does eventually dry.
1: useful to know useful
0: to know that's what he uses to secure the wireless camera or whatever the hell they use to spy on Carla he also has some bullshit he had there was a tip that was a little bit more concrete about like there's great wireless webcams blah 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 but it it just felt embarrassing to write down in the year of our lord 2019 so I didn't thank you (laughs) finally so this is the last thing that I felt was practical from this episode but it is number five Sending a message in the middle of an operation is about the most dangerous thing you can do. Sometimes you just have to drop a note and hope your backup team is paying attention. So this is that that scene where Michael has written a note and like crumples it into the ground after sort of like waving it around in the air, hoping that Fiona and Sam will see His it. His backup team is paying attention. Exactly. The backup team is paying attention. So I really like this. This is another sort of example of like the payoff being in the scene. But it felt practical, it felt clever, uh, it felt improvised, which I always like. I always like it when the spy tips have to be improvised versus, like, things he plans in advance, because I think it's more interesting to watch um, characters react to things.
1: I will say, I support the improvisation. I don't like it.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, But would would you give me that tip as well?
1: I'll give you that one. All
0: right, that's five.
1: Don't say give me that tip. (laughs) Don't do that to me. Don't I, put me in a position where I have to say yes to that. That is terrible.
0: Ooh, you're going to get in position to give me the tip?
1: Oh, fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I hate this podcast. <laughs> I hate that we do it. And I hate
1: you most of all.
0: Uh, speaking of me, I'm going to rate this episode with the help of my dear friend, uh, Thrusty McGee, Chris Cherry. So... as he is better known (laughs) so in rating this episode did Michael West? you know
1: earlier I was talking about how like no one wants to like no one is happy about like their friends having sex or anything about sex but we talk about it constantly well on this show
0: (laughs) I love talking about it because you get so uncomfortable and that's like what I live for is your discomfort it like it feeds me It nourishes me. So this week, did Michael Weston solve the weekly case through spycraft rather than violence?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah.
0: He technically solved both of his cases of the week, like where Carla is and how to get into Carla's office and the Trevor heist thing, both with spycraft. So that's a double whammy for us this time. Uh, Were Mm. there at least five practical spy voiceover tips? Yes, there were exactly five. So that's two down mm-hmm. already. Uh, did Michael Weston debut or revisit a distinct alias? This one I'm not sure about. Would you consider dark, uh, deep-voiced Joseph uh, a distinct alias? He has a name, which is already a point in his favor, because a lot of times we get an alias that we're never actually fully introduced to. I,
1: I will say, I de- I think this is a distinct alias. I also think it's lame and kind of annoying.
0: <laughs> okay, break that down for me.
1: Like, I, because it does feel like he's playing a character. Like I said, he is so committed to this character that, like, he is doing dumb shit, like, refusing to, like, crack bodega safes just because, like, well, Joseph wouldn't do that so easy. So it definitely feels like he's doing a character. And so I feel like, because sometimes Michael Weston is just being Michael Weston, under a different name or not even, not even name, just with like a different job description. It's like, hi, I'm Michael Cheston and I'm an accountant and I act like Michael Weston does. Sure. Whereas this did feel like a character, but I never enjoyed it. So I don't know how to feel about that. I'll give that to you. Is the important thing that the alias is in fact distinct or is it that it is enjoyable?
0: That's fair. I, I think distinct is the operative word because it, it just needs to not be Michael Weston, but doing a different thing this way. Like, it has to feel distinct from who we know to be Michael Weston. Like, neutral Michael Weston, it has to be distinct from that.
1: And I will say, there is no one more neutral than Michael Weston.
0: <laughs> he is truly a bathroom sign of a man. Uh, okay, fair enough. So, distinct alias, Joseph the Safe Cracker. Joseph the Safe Cracker. Um boy, I wish we knew someone named Joe to talk about here.
1: Yeah, we don't.
0: Oh well. Uh and then finally, were the side characters Fee and Sam used well? AKA was Sam peak Bruce Campbell at any point? And did Fiona get to blow something up? Sammy, yeah. Sammy's I mean, getting some hammy, and Fiona blew God. up an entire building. So yeah, I think I think it's safe to say this was a good episode for them. Yeah, so
1: this was a good episode a great episode of Burn Notice.
0: It was indeed. However was it a great episode of television?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, nah, I didn't care for. Him. I thought this episode was really indig- indicative of a thing that is true about this show a lot, and about maybe this kind of show in general when it's not well done. In that it ne- it never felt like anyone was experiencing like emotions, but it was like. A simulacrum of emotions.
0: It was like aliens pretending to have human emotions.
1: Exactly. Like, these were all things that, like, could be emotional things. Like, it never really felt like the characters had inner lives. You know? It was just like they were acting as if, like, maybe people might do if they had emotions and these things happened to them and they did these things. But, like, I don't know if this is down to the writing or the direction. But, like, all of the things that happened to these characters were things that could have happened to humans, but it didn't feel like they did.
0: Yeah, I think it's more of a... I mean, I'm not going to say that Rod Hardy is a director that I trust, but I will say that I think it's probably a writing... Rod Hardy, (laughs) a director
1: you can trust.
0: (laughs) Or not. Uh, I would say it's a writing problem, though, because, like, In the same way that every time they talk about michael's abuse it feels off like the simulacrum of human emotion just comes from like all of the reasonings for emotions being super shallow and that's a writing thing like it's not that like trevor's performance was bad when he talked about his son it's just that like the vagary of him having a son who didn't want his dad to be a crime guy was not like compelling enough for there to be a reason to have a good performance
1: and I, I feel like that is, like, the flaw of this show and shows like it in general. And perhaps, like, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but, like, one of the reasons that I have a harder time connecting to, like, a procedural-type show is that it often falls prey to this kind of thing. Uh, because Because it's a procedural. Like, the point of a procedural is to watch... Characters go through procedures, and it's like definitely interesting to watch characters go through procedures. Um, But like, if you're used to writing procedures, then sometimes you write like humans and human emotions like procedures, and those are different things.
0: I I mean, I can see how it's an easy trap to fall into as a procedural writer. I will say that there are a ton of procedurals out there that do like the good version of this more consistently like elementary i would say is a television show that like definitely is a procedural but like the stakes matter a lot more because they make the like emotional inner lives of the characters more front and center and sometimes will sort of like ignore the case of the week to deal with the character stuff and so when like it just everything feels more human because they've that done they've done the, the work to like humanize these characters beyond like them being detectives, and I think that th- and and despite it still very much being a procedural, I think that they managed to balance it well because they have done like the emotional labor of giving characters like motivations that have like a little bit more going on than just like must work for CIA again, must get in Michael Weston's pants, must get Hammy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I do definitely think there's a way to do that well, and I have seen it done well. I haven't watched Elementary. Did is there an episode probably early on of Elementary where Sherlock Holmes does talk a lot about cigars and cigarettes?
0: He definitely does talk about cigarettes at one point or another. I don't know if it's the first episode, but I'm pretty sure it happens early on.
1: Because you have to do that with a Sherlock Holmes adaptation. God, do you think there's someone like writing a Sherlock Holmes adaptation right now in 2019 in which Sherlock Holmes knows a lot about vapes.
0: I bet there's actually an episode of of elementary with a vaping plotline.
1: Oh yeah. This is definitely the kind of cotton you get from this kind of vape. I
0: would love to see the BBC Sherlock deal with vaping. I want to see a Stephen Moffat, Benedict Cumberbatch vaping plotline.
1: No Martin Freeman. They couldn't get him.
0: (laughs) Martin Freeman's like, hard pass. But but Benedict Cumberbatch is like, you know what? I think this is going to be a stretch and an interesting stretch for me. I'm going to try it out.
1: There you go. I'm into it. Uh,
0: So we have determined conclusively, scientifically, uh, Sherlockianly, that this was uh, an episode of television that also happened to be a great episode of Burn Notice. Um. Thank you so much to Vincent EL for our amazing theme music. You can find more about him at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And without further ado, bye.
1: I, I don't like that.